Good morning, church. So a couple days ago, I was getting gas at the gas station, and the place was packed. I mean, line of cars, all wanting to get gas, and I... I wait my turn and I get up. I'm in front of the line, uh, just waiting for a pump to open up. Then all of a sudden, uh, a pump opens up. So I start pulling in to fill up. Well, as I do, there's a motorcycle that came off the street from the back, cut in front of all the cars, zipped right in and went right to the pump. I mean, the guy saw me, but he didn't care. Not my proudest moment, but... I decided to make it my mission to make him care. <laughs> and so I, I just floored it. I wanted to hit the guy, and I hit the guy. And I didn't really do that, but I thought it. I really wanted to. <laughs> but I, I wanted to go and just push his motorcycle over. <laughs> but Pastor Ernie got off the bike, and I'm like, oh, that's not a good idea. <laughs> going to be a little awkward next week. No, it wasn't Ernie. But uh, the the car that was in line behind me, the driver had his window down, and he sees the comedy of it all, and he just starts laughing hysterically. You know, I am filled with rage at this moment, and he is just laughing. I'm so thankful for that guy. It made me pause. Think, is it really this big of a deal? Why do I get so upset about something so small? Then, of course, it was that time. It was one o'clock. You remember last week's challenge, every hour on the hour? Oh, man, it is time to pray. I am burning with rage. And my heart and my mind weren't weren't anywhere close to praying. But that is exactly what I needed in that moment. Why is it that I get so upset? Why is it that I, I am filled with rage whenever I feel like, like someone is cutting me off or cutting in front of me or someone is slowing me down, someone is is not doing things the way that I think they should be done. I get frustrated. I mean, don't they know I'm kind of a big deal? (laughs) I can't answer for you if that happens, why? But I know for me, it's pride. It's pride. It's pride that takes my focus off of Jesus. And then instead of focusing on him and on things that that truly matter in eternity, I instead start focusing on me. You see, last week we talked about the need to pray consistently, to pray constantly. We looked at Jesus' teaching to keep the incense burning, that he used the example of the, the widow and the unrighteous judge. And that they, he was teaching his disciples to pray and never give up. Sometimes we get distracted and need to be reminded to pray. And sometimes I, I get discouraged and I, I feel like God's not answering my prayers. I mean, we've all had that where we've prayed and it didn't happen the way we thought it should happen. 
And so we start to get discouraged and lose hope thinking maybe God's not even hearing our prayers. I mean, we've all prayed prayers that we're glad didn't get answered the way God, that we were praying, right? That, I mean, we would have married some old sweetheart and that would have been a mess, a disaster. Or we would have got a job that we thought we needed. But in time, we see God had something better in store. God had something better for us that we didn't know. And so our prayer should always be centered on him. It requires faith. Prayer must be grounded in faith. That, that the moment our faith stops praying is the moment it stops living. That powerful prayer is grounded in faith in him, not in us. That it should be focused on his will being done, not our own. So I don't know if you did the challenge every hour on the hour, but that was a game changer for me. Last week, we said that prayer was talking with God, listening to God and looking for God. And this week, we're going to see that Jesus teaches us not only to pray consistently and constantly, but to pray humbly. We're going to be in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. But just before we go there, let's take a moment. Let's quiet ourselves down and let's ask for God to leave. Let's pray. Father... We thank you for your word. We pray that you will silence the distractions, that you will silence our fears, whatever is consuming us, whatever we are worrying about. And God, we would know you are near, that our hearts would be open, knowing that you know what is best for us that we don't even know what we should pray for. And so, Lord, we ask for you to lead in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 18, starting in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Luke points out that two men went to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee is a religious leader. He is the best of the best 
The Pharisees were, were the ones you look to for an example of how to live for God, how to do everything right. They were the ones who, who put on a show, man. You know, they, they made sure they did everything for other people to see. And so notice the Pharisees' approach to prayer. He prayed standing by himself. Now, he would have more than likely, you know, been right up in front right up there as close to the sanctuary as possible because that's where he believed he belonged. He prayed to himself and about himself. If you look at his prayer, he mentions God once, but the personal pronouns there five times, I. He names other types of despised people, robbers, cheaters, adulterers, sinners. But then he points out that he is better than those, but definitely, definitely better than this tax collector. Because tax collectors, they were the worst. They were truly despised. Tax collectors at the time were the lowest of the low. That they weren't just like other sinners. They were worse than other sinners. That if you know, Rome was ruling at the time. The Jewish people were under Roman rule. And so they, the Jewish people were holding out, hoping and waiting for a Messiah to come. That would drive Rome out. That the Messiah would sit on the throne. One of their own would rule. But instead of holding out, a tax collector sold out. They actually voluntarily gave money to, to help Rome so that they would have the right to collect honey. Uh, um, honey. They weren't beekeepers. No, that they would have the right to collect taxes, money, and they could charge what they want. Tax collectors were the worst. But if you notice, God, when he mentions God, the Pharisee isn't praying, God, thank you for what you've done in my life. No, he's just saying, He's made himself better than these other people because God's grace would never make anyone a self-righteous bragger. He prays about his achievements. I fast twice a week. That was more than the law required. I tithe on everything I get, not just on what's required, but everything. He was the perfect example his attitude, though, was almost as if God needed him and not the other way around. As if God should feel lucky that this Pharisee's on God's side, not that he was on God's side. Now, I know today we don't have a specific group of leaders called the Pharisees in the church, but I believe that we do have some people that are still afflicted by the spirit of self-righteousness and looking down on others. I call them MDPs. MDPs are modern day Pharisees. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Man, sometimes I, I see that I'm a Pharisee. Sometimes I see that I have Pharisaical tendencies. And that what I want to bash the Pharisee for is exactly a problem in me that I think we all struggle with pride. We all struggle with self-righteousness from time to time. So how do you know when you're acting like an MDP? Well, an MDP always keeps score. 
when you are always keeping score, you're acting like a Pharisee. That you want to measure everything. We want to measure everything that we can to see where we fit in, to see how we compare to others. We are our own worst enemy, but yet our highest contributor in keeping score, comparing ourselves with others. I mean, we think, well, you, you look at me, I'm, I'm not a murderer, I'm not uh, robbing banks, I'm not cheating on my wife, I'm a pretty good guy by most people's standards, right? Uh, but since when has other people been the standard for Jesus' people? Other people aren't the standard, Jesus is the standard. You see, the truth is, I am not better than anyone. The only person I'm trying to be better, I'm trying to be better than the me that I was yesterday. Am I growing in my walk with him? Two questions to check yourself. Am I growing in love with God? Is my love for God continuing to grow each day? And the second question, am I growing in love towards other people? Am I becoming more patient, more kind? more gracious? Am I growing in these ways? Am I getting better each day in these areas? But you see, a Pharisee will keep the focus on acts of righteousness, not growing in love towards God and people. Acts of righteousness are a big deal because that's what we measure. That's how we can score. Acts of righteousness, well, these are good things. Don't get me wrong. You know, caring for the needy, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, giving to the poor. All these things are, are, are good things, that good works God desires us to do. But Pharisees, MDPs, well, they do them out of obligation or for show, for appearance's sake. It's not flowing from a heart of love, but of obligation. I want to do just enough good to keep the score in my favor. You know, I need to do more good than I do bad. And so I'm doing this just to help the scoreboard. You know, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah compared our, our, our right acts of righteousness. You know what he compared them to? Filthy rags. Think about this. Imagine a child going, making a mess on purpose, all right? And then using as many rags as possible, coming back to their parent and thinking their parent's gonna be happy with them because they use all these filthy rags. They're still a mess that they created on purpose. No parent's gonna praise their child for that, all right? How in the world do we think our acts of righteousness, <laughs> that God's going to be pleased with how many rags we have? You see, we can never do enough to make things right with God. We can never do enough to make up for our sin. We can never do enough to deserve heaven, to deserve eternal life. We just can't. We can't do it. We're still a mess without him. The Pharisees lose sight of that. You know you're acting like an MDP, a modern-day Pharisee, when, when not only you're always keeping score, but, man, you are a rule keeper to the core. All right? I, I, there are times I, I focus on the rules, but I lose sight of what really is important, focusing on the external. Then I'll start focusing on the rules and stop pursuing the ruler. 
Instead of, instead of seeing God as a loving father, sometimes it's like we picture him as, as a, a ticked off judge just waiting for us to do wrong. God isn't a God, a father who just tolerates his children. No, he loves his children. But you see, the problem is when we're focusing on the rules instead of the ruler, well, this leads to legalism. And we, all we do is measure the external, make sure it looks right on the outside. You know, it's like what um, uh, Pastor Ernie said, we don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do. We look at these outward things, but we don't look at the internal, that, that just because I keep these rules and look good on the outside, but inwardly I'm full of arrogance, pride, selfishness, and no one ever calls me out. You see, that's acting like a Pharisee. MDPs judge by their own standards. I get frustrated when other people don't measure up. Other people don't do what I think they should do. and They're not measuring up to a standard they didn't even sign up for. I, it, it allows me to look down on them and, and think, man, I'm doing better than them, that God loves me more than them because of, well, look at how they're living. MDPs will constantly focus on what they don't do, the rules that they keep that we know, you know, sometimes I'm more passionate about, about what I don't do and what I'm against than what I'm for, what I should be about. Modern day Pharisees rarely repent of sin, not because we're perfect, but because we don't see it. We look good. We've got a good show. But we ignore the internal, the attitude the heart, the motive. MDPs will secretly condone what they publicly condemn, that in the spotlight, they look great. But when no one's looking, they're compl completely different. Here's the scary thing about modern day Pharisees, including me, is that I never realized I'm being a Pharisee when I'm being a Pharisee. I never realized the hypocrisy. In fact, I'll have scripture after scripture, verse after verse, focusing on, on why I'm right. And I'll actually use the word to attack someone instead of to allow God's word to mold me and shape me to look more like Jesus. I'm using it as a weapon in a way it was never intended. And this is what's scary, is that we don't see our own hypocrisy. We don't see when we're the Pharisee. Because I know there are times, it's me. You know, it's, we can be so right, but still be wrong. You ever had a time like that where you've been right, but you've been wrong? That's Pharisee. I remember a few years ago, Megan, my wife, was out running errands, and so she asked me, uh, I was at home, to, to go to the kitchen. I am not good in the kitchen whatsoever, but she asked me to, to go get a 9 by 13 pan and to start getting dinner ready. <clears throat> well, I, uh, 
I said, sure. And so I go to get a nine by 13 pan right where she said it would be. But there's one problem. I do not see a nine by 13 pan there. And so when Megan comes home, she asked, Chad, did you get the nine by 13 pan and get it ready? Uh, no, I didn't because love, I don't know how to tell you this, but you don't have a nine by 13 pan. Well, this becomes a stalemate <laughs> that she's adamant. We have not only one nine by 13, we have three nine by 13 pans. And I said, no, we don't. So we've been married over 20 years and we have this, this bet we make. Whenever we disagree, we bet and we know that the other person is wrong. Who's ever wrong has to give the winner a kiss. And so this nine by 13 became one of those times. We made the bet. You do not have a nine by 13. Yes, we do. It's right here where I told you. She pulls three of them out. And I said, those are not nine by 13. I measured. They're eight and a half by 12 and a half, eight by 14. They are not nine by 13. And well, apparently in the pan making industry, you don't have to be precise. Those are nine by 13, even though they don't measure nine by 13. That was the only time I've ever lost the bet of who's wrong. <laughs> All right, that's not true either. But, but I was so certain I was right. They didn't measure the way they should have measured in my mind. But I was wrong. That's the danger of being a Pharisee when we are self-satisfied and think that our righteousness is making us right with God. You see, the Pharisee went home satisfied but still condemned by his pride. Now enters the tax collector. If anybody didn't belong in church, it's this guy. Everybody looked down on him. Tax collector has a totally different approach to prayer. Notice what the tax collector does. It says standing far off. The Pharisee chose to stand by himself up, up in the front, but you can picture the tax collector in the back at the very edge. He knew he didn't belong. He didn't need people to tell him he didn't belong. He already knew that. He was an outcast. He wouldn't even look his eyes, lift his eyes towards heaven. That was the posture they had normally used for prayer in these days. It is clear humility. The tax collector knows that he's a sinner. He knows that he's done wrong. The Pharisee was full of pride, but this guy, the tax collector, has no pride. He didn't measure up. He knew that, but he had faith. You see, prayer is grounded in faith. And the tax, tax collector had faith, just enough faith, just enough hope that maybe God would hear his prayer and be merciful to him. He beat his chest, showing true repentance, true remorse, not just one of these, I'm sorry, God, but I'm going to keep on doing it, a verbal apology, but a genuine repentance and remorse over his sin. And his one plea is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, the tax collector is unlike the Pharisee in his approach, that he's not worried. The tax collector isn't worried about what everyone else thinks. He's worried about what God thinks. 
If you look in the, in the Greek, the word for the article A and the article V are the same word. So what the tax collector is praying could be interpreted two ways. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, or God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He wasn't worried about everyone else. He wasn't trying to deflect. That's the natural response to sin. In Genesis, when Adam and Eve fall, what do they do? Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. The Pharisee brings in all these other people that he's better than, even this tax collector. But the tax collector wouldn't even look towards heaven. He knew, he confessed. He said the same thing that God said about his sin. He knew he was a sinner. His head hung in, with guilt and shame. Guilt is knowing when we've done something wrong. Shame is thinking we are something wrong. And here's the interesting thing. In, in Psalm 3, David says that God is the lifter of his head. In church, this is really good news that God is the lifter of our head. If you are in Christ, you are not condemned. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is the lifter of your head. Now, both men technically got what they prayed for. The Pharisee got what he asked for. Nothing. He didn't really think he needed anything. He thought he was good on his own. He didn't need God. However, the tax collector, he understood the heart of God, that God is merciful. The Pharisee, he didn't really know God. He knew about God, but he didn't really know God. I want you to take a moment and think of your favorite celebrity. That if, if you could meet anyone in the world, who would you want to meet? You know the celebrity, don't you? That you, oh, you follow them on social media. You know everything about them. You know where they live. You know how much money they have. You know about their, their love life. You know where they're eating, what they're wearing, what they're doing, their likes, their dislikes. You, you know all these things. You follow them. Or maybe it's an athlete. Maybe you're thinking an athlete right now. You know where he played college ball. You know his injuries. You know what he's good at, what he's strong at, what he's weak at. Or, or maybe you're thinking like a rock star right now. That I want you to imagine, you, you know the schedule. You know when they're on tour, when they're going to be close to you. And so you get a ticket, and not just any ticket, you get a ticket in the front row with a backstage pass. And think about it. You go to the concert and then you go backstage and you get face to face with this person. You're like, dude, it's me. <laughs> they don't know you. And in all honesty, you don't know them. You know about them, but don't you, you don't truly know them. See, that was the Pharisees. They knew about God. They had all the data, all the stats. They knew the law better than anyone else. But they didn't know God. Jesus told them, if you had only knew what this meant, you know, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That the Pharisee 
missed the mercy of God. The tax collector knew that God would be merciful. So what is mercy? Well, mercy quite simply is not getting what you deserve. When we do wrong, we know we deserve consequences. When we do wrong, we know we deserve the punishment. You do the crime, you do the time. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. But there's this this other word, grace, and we use them interchangeably, but they're two different things. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. See the difference? So that's where the cross, Jesus' sacrifice, is full of both mercy and grace. Now we don't get the punishment. The wages of sin is death. We've all sinned and and fall short of the glory of God. But God's mercy doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, he gives us what we don't deserve, Jesus For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. We don't deserve that. That's grace. God's mercy and grace. God's mercy is the only way we can be saved. But do you believe that God is really merciful? Do you believe you're saved by God's mercy and grace? Or do you, do you believe it's by your good works? In your heart of hearts, what do you truly believe? You know, sometimes it's like, think God's love for us ebb and flows. There are days when I'm spending time with him like I should and want to. And days where I am just living the the life, man, exactly like Jesus. And then there are days where I don't, where I don't make time for him like I should, when I don't do what I want to, when I lose my cool. These times that I think it's so easy for God to love me some days and Some days, I'm not sure if he does. See, that's putting the focus on my good works. That's putting the focus on me. When the focus is on God's love, mercy, and grace, man, his love doesn't come and go. His love is constant. Ephesians 3, Paul tells the church that we can't even fathom, comprehend God's love. It's impossible to fully understand. That it's not me being good that makes me right with God. No, it's only God's mercy and grace that I can be right with him. The Pharisee, he went home satisfied. But the tax collector, he went home justified. What's justified? I like the simple explanation. It's being justified means it's just, God makes it just as if I'd never sinned. He makes us whole, makes us clean, forgives us, removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. We are all guilty of sin, but we who are in Christ Jesus are not condemned. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we need to stop condemning ourselves to get the focus off of us and onto him. Stop condemning because we've been bought at a price. We've been redeemed. Your sin is not bigger than the power of the cross. Stop condemning. I need to stop condemning myself and I need to stop condemning others. 
that, that it's not my place to condemn them. You know, Jesus didn't give us this teaching here so that we'd have ammunition against the Pharisees. That if he didn't come to condemn, who do I think I am? That why the danger here is, is to read this, this parable and to lose sight of what we're supposed to learn. This is a really difficult sermon for me to preach because I see, I, I see me in the Pharisee. But the danger and what I want to do is look at the Pharisee and look at you. It's easy for us to sit there and say, oh, I, I'm definitely not the Pharisee. I mean, we, we don't pray. At least I don't think you've prayed. Uh, God, thank you that I'm better than all of you. Thank you, God, that I'm not like this person, that person. You hear the sermon here in Pharisee and you think, yep, that's him over there. Man, I... I wish so-and-so was here. They really need to hear this right now. You see, we, we don't see our own hypocrisy, the Pharisee, that this, this teaching Jesus has given us isn't for us to point out the flaws in others, but it's to see the pride and self-righteousness in me. Don't make the mistake of thinking this is for someone else. All of us are going to go home satisfied or justified. I want to challenge you to pray humbly. There is power in humility. It's not our strength, it's his. That there is, God can transform a life in amazing ways when there's humility. But pride will shut it down quicker than anything. There's a brokenness that God longs to see in his children. A brokenness that leads to true repentance, that truly will follow him. That, that, that God's very clear Man, a broken spirit, a contrite heart, he will not deny. But pride has no room for him. So this week, I want to challenge you to pray like the tax collector prayed. To pray humbly. To say what he said. His exact words, pray, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Don't just pray it once. Pray it. Repeat it. And each time, emphasize a different word. Spend some time meditating on it. What I mean is, you know, the first time you read, you might say, God, emphasize the first word. Be merciful to me, a sinner. God, help me see you more than anything else. Help me realize who I'm talking to the almighty, the creator, the sovereign one. Be merciful to me. Be, God, you are the great I am. You are the one who was and is and is to come. You are the perfect embodiment of everything good. Merciful. God, don't let me lose sight of my need for your mercy.
that as I start to experience victory in my walk with you over sin, don't let me for a moment think that I am not powerless. That God, you would keep me where you want me to be. Each day, spend some time reflecting on the prayer. And for some of us, that challenge is enough. That's going to keep you busy and keep you all week long. Focus on that. And so for some, I want to give Psalm 116. That guys, this is, we're not going to be Pharisees. We're not keeping score of how many check marks and check the boxes here. But for some, after you spend time reflecting on the tax collector's plea, read and meditate on Psalm 116. It says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. God, I pray that's true. I would be faithful every day. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol, that's the grave laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. God, don't let me forget how miserable I was without you. It was death all around. I wasn't living. I didn't want to die, but I sure wasn't living. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. There's none like him. Our God is merciful. I want to challenge you. Spend time with him. If the every hour on the hour is helpful, keep doing it. But make sure you get some time where you can silent, uh, silence all the distractions, everything that's going around. We're always busy, busy, busy on the go. Where you take some time in solitude and meditate on his word. I want you to, I want to challenge us all to pray, pray consistently and pray humbly. Love you, church.